Welcome to The Sale Ring, a podcast dedicated to real estate brokers, agents, and America's top auctioneers that keep the markets moving. Join your hosts, Sean and Trina, as they talk with most successful realtors, marketing and technology experts, investors, and influencers. This show is devoted to all industry professionals looking to up their game and stay up to date. Welcome to The Sale Ring. The Mystery Science Theater. That's a weird one. It is a weird one. With a little robot. But, and, yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, I'm recording mm-hmm. this, so let's I get into you the would show. Be. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about today's show. We got Darren Addison. Yeah. yeah. With Addison Irrigation. Uh, Darren's also a realtor, a landman, land consultant, and uh, we're going to talk a lot about irrigation today. Darren, how are you doing? I am doing quite fine. Welcome into yeah. the uh, confines of Studio B. <laughs> confines is right. <laughs> the is jail warm? cell. Is it warm in here? No. It is a little Sean, bit. Sean, you always thought... ask. It's like four degrees in here. It is not warm. Okay. Well, I'm going to check warm. the air here in a minute because I thought it was warm too. I think but, you're just uh, embarrassed to be on the radio somehow. Yeah, well, or on the air. We're not really on the radio, I guess, but you know what I'm radio-ish. saying. Radio-ish. <laughs> yeah. Got a microphone in front of you. Somehow the auctioneer in the room is afraid of the microphone and getting hot in here. (laughs) That's a problem when you start sweating every time a microphone's in front of you. It's like, what's going on with that cat? Uh, Darren Addison, Addison Irrigation. Darren and I, we've been friends for quite a while now. Uh, Compadres here, we're working in the real estate sector together. But we thought that irrigation is something that has a lot of crossover agricultural, residential. There's a lot of things that are going on right now in the irrigation industry. And uh, Darren seems like he's the appropriate person to talk about it. So what would you like to talk about? How about um, (laughs) irrigation, for starters? (laughs) Number one, irrigation. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about that. (laughs) Now, tell us a little bit about Addison Irrigation. I've heard this story, but I, I want the listeners to hear a little bit about your dad, how the company got started, you know, some of the areas that you operate. Tell us a little bit about your dad and how he got in the irrigation business. Well, back in the 60s, my dad, we bought some side roll irrigation. That's the type that you roll down the field. And it wasn't a very good deal for Western Kansas because of the wind. So he went into selling water dry valleys for Valmont. And was a leading salesperson for them in 1967, 8, and 9. And then he uh, just kept trying to invent different deals to help people with uh, water in their crops, including uh, in 1977, he invented uh, soft spray 360 low-pressure nozzle. What it does is help save water as well as uh, make a better crop. Okay. So tell us, explain what a nozzle is first off. There may be people listening that's like, all right, what's a nozzle? If you ever seen a center pivot work, that's the things that are on top of the pipe. Or as we do it now, we, we drape it below the sprinkler on, on hose. And we space them anywhere from 10 feet to 30 inches apart, along with uh, regulators to lower the pressure to get the water to the crop easier so you're talking about the irrigation pivots that are out in the field the big towers or the pipes and i've noticed those uh the the drops i think is what they call those Mm -hmm. the purpose of that why 
so they used to be, if I remember irrigation properly, it used to have like a sprinkler head on top of it. Big impacts. It was just spraying up in the air and just covering the crops. Why drop the hose down closer to the crop? What's the reasoning behind that? Less evaporation, getting the water to the ground. Okay. Uh, The lower the pressure, the less white water that is sprayed down into the air that evaporates back up into the atmosphere. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. When was this kind of transition over? Because it it seems to me like most of the irrigation systems that I see now have the drops, have the hoses coming down versus the sprinklers up on top of the pipe. Yeah. 90% of all sprinklers are that way now. When did they start transitioning over? About 1980. We first put them on top of the pipe. Dad then decided, you know, there's a better way. Let's get it lower to the crop or into the crop canopy to where the water is almost 100% going to the ground. All right, so I'm going to ask kind of a dumb question, but is it more important that the crop itself gets the water on it or that the water gets on the ground? Which one of those two? Both. Cooling factor for the plant and also water to the ground. Okay. All right. It also helps with uh, pollination as well. The nozzles are down in the canopy, actually, being able to get the pollens and stuff off off the plant to yeah. pollinate. Really? Is it spraying that hard on the drops? Like, or is it just a real fine mist? It's or? it's not a mist. You don't want a mist. You want a water droplet. And the water droplet is enough to make it come off the plant. So it's more like a drip than a mist or a spray, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've, I've heard of drip irrigation before. Mm-hmm. What is that? Explain that to me. Drip irrigation is the process either on top of the soil or below the soil where you've got a real gentle, fine droplet that comes out above the ground. What you're trying to do is create up to a gallon worth of water per hour to get to the plant. We're having a lot of subsurface drip going in right now for people that's got low water wells but want to be able to grow a full quarter of corn on about half the water. So does most of the water come from, a? where does all this water come from? You said low water wells. Do most people just have a well on their property they're pulling from? or? Yes, and with the constant use of the water in them areas, our water tables are starting to deplete, Mm -hmm. which we've seen wells back in the 70s that were 1,000, 1,200 gallons, which now are only producing about 200 gallons of water. Wow. You mentioned something just a second ago about, underground subsurface drip subsurface drip explain that as kind of as simple as you can for the show out here because i (laughs) i'm not sure i even know what you're are you talking about kind of like a soaker hose or uh it's not a soaker hose it's it's a hose with real fine emitters within the hose that they lay anywhere from 20 to 18 inches below the soil surface Hmm which waters that crop. Note, you've got to have a rain or you have to have nice, fertile, moist soil to plant into so the roots can get to that subsurface tape because water does not rise in the ground. It sinks. Okay. All right. That makes a lot of sense. So the initial from the seed sprouting out there until the root system is developed, it has to get down to the water for it to have any beneficial use. That's right. So I guess seasonality and just Mother Nature has a lot to do with that. Do you see those sometimes where they're using a subsurface tape in conjunction with 
a pivot or another type of irrigation just to get the plant started? We have several people with their low water pivots that will water to get that crop, that bed ready to plant seed. Then they'll lay their seed and transition water from the pivot to the subsurface state. All right. That makes sense. What's yeah. So typical crops that you would see that system used with? Corn, milo, alfalfa, anything. And what's the typical amount of time from putting the seed in the ground till that root system is developed enough to reach the subsurface tape? About a month. Takes about a month. So that month's pretty critical, yes. whether you're going to have a crop or not. You yeah. know, And at that point, once you can get the roots down to the tape, down to that water source, as you said, water doesn't rise, it falls. It, it falls then it's kind of smooth sailing at that point. Yeah, we've got people down in, in Oklahoma that's raising 160 acres worth of corn on as little as 400 gallons of water, hmm. which in a typical scenario, you need 650 to 800 gallons. You may have covered this just a second ago, Darren, but what is the premise behind the subsurface tape? Why is it maybe a better strategy than other types of irrigation? Less water usage across the board, wherever okay. you put it. Less evaporation? Save. Oh, no evaporation with this. Because it's in the soil. It's underground, and, yeah. 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 But the one thing I'm curious about, you had mentioned earlier, cooling the crops. You know, I asked about the moisture. Is it more important to get it in the ground or on the ground or on the crop? You said both. What happens? Can the crops still, even though they're getting adequate water subsurface, can they still burn up? Yeah. If it's really, really hot, they can burn up. So that's maybe one advantage of an above-ground irrigation system or using those two in tandem, as oh, you said. Yeah. A lot of them use them in tandem. Yeah. Well, that's pretty interesting because prior to today, and I've been around agriculture most of my life, um, I actually was not that aware of underground or subsurface with tape, tape. Or tape irrigation. I'm not familiar with that other than just in, in casual conversation. I didn't understand anything about that. The Sale Ring, online at www.thesalering.com. Let's back up just a little bit, if you don't mind. Talk a little bit more about your dad, the uh, creation of Addison Irrigation. And one of the things I found interesting is that you used to go to Mexico, and you had some plants in Mexico that were developing parts at the time. Let's talk about that a little bit. We had plants in Kansas as well as Mexico. The plant we had in Kansas was to make our 360 soft spray nozzle, which was the very first nozzle that we made. We made them actually in a town named Fowler, Kansas, right down from our farm. We also produced a regulator that regulated the water pressure for our nozzles so we could run the pivots at a lower pressure, but put out the same amount of water. Then um, through his innovations, uh, he created a U-joint that works on the center pivots, the electric center pivots that hooks the motor and the gearboxes together. And we had that down in Monterey, Mexico. Where was that? Yeah. Monterey. 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 Okay. Okay. And me and my father, we would fly a couple times to several times a month. From, Are you a pilot? Yes, Just I am. Just your father? Oh, nice. What kind of planes do you? We had a 310 Cessna. It was the last one we had. We flew Moonies, Piper Cherokees. We had a lot of hours in the air. 
I know I asked that question, but I have no idea what you're talking about still. So airplanes. <laughs> I, a, th- oh, I a 310 Cessna is a dual engine. Gotcha. We had times where we'd take off early in the morning from Kansas, fly down to Monterey, Mexico after we make our couple stops at the border to make sure we were okay to go in. <laughs> And not smuggling something back. Well, we did. We got pulled over once. We. Oh, I thought you were going to say you in, were smuggling something. I'm like, you did what now? Let's we talk did. about that. We did smuggle something. You oh. got pulled over in the air? Yes, we did. That's in, like there's we, we just the vision over. of that. Yes, it's just yeah, like a just, cop flying a plane like, yeah, with like his the, arm out the window. Get no, over. We it's actually, like the Jetsons. Pull over to this cloud on the left right here. I want to visit with you two Han Yaks for no, a minute. We had fruit. We had grapes uh, and some stuff from... Mexico and actually I had a pair of boots that were illegal and boots are illegal? You can't bring boots back in? Not if they're made out of marijuana. No. (laughs) No. No hemp boots allowed. I I can't remember what it was, but it was some animal that you couldn't create a belt or mean boots with or a belt. So dad said we'll just fly underneath the radar. So we flew really low and we hovered across. Hold on, I I'm still hold on. How did they know what the boots were made out of? Well, I mean, why wouldn't you just take the tag off that said made with, you know, it jaguar looks like, or whatever it is? It looks, <laughs> like, it looks like that animal. You can probably tell was. whether it's a snake boot or a, you know, ostrich Maybe. or whatever. It's whatever the animal skin is. They yeah, can, that's what it was. But we hovered real low on the ground. I mean, flying, stand underneath radar, we thought. <laughs> and we started to rise up and we said, home sailing we're going home and all of a sudden here's this f-18 hovering right beside us they jam a radio and they said you must land right now wow so it really is like yeah a jet coming at you saying get get yeah pull over was that scary oh my gosh it was really scary i was gonna i'm going to jail i'm gonna be in there forever (laughs) for these pairs of boots yeah they didn't care about the boots once we got on the ground. They were more about the fruit we were eating coming across. Interesting. So they tore our plane totally apart. Mm-hmm. Looking, looking for what for, else might be there. Mm-hmm. That's right. And found that we didn't have nothing. And back in the 80s, it wasn't a big deal. They put it back together, said, you are to go straight home. I would think back in the 80s would have been a bigger deal than it is now. No, no. <laughs> Knowing no. what the drug trade looked like in yeah. the 80s. I think so, there's some movies made yeah, about that late 70s, mm-hmm. early 80s, guys flying <laughs> Moonies and Cessnas over the border. And, and it had to be the 310 Cessna, the heavy weight dual engine plane. So we, we fly home. And mysteriously, at two in the morning, our sheriff was waiting at the airport. And uh, we get out of the plane, and, you know, his name was uh, Squirt Kramer. The, yeah, and he owned a local <laughs> bar downtown. This is a total Western Kansas story right here. Squirt oh, yeah. the sheriff. <laughs> and uh, he looked at my dad at 2 in the morning and said, I ain't ever getting out of bed for this again. Don't ever do that again. I thought he was looking for the fruit. You didn't no, bring yeah. me any fruit. We give didn't me get those, to keep it. <laughs> give me those grapes and give me those uh, chupacabra uh, boots. <laughs> they, they kept it. And I was very... Because they were really good grapes. That's funny. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Oh, Darren, it's always interesting, my friend, to yes. visit with you about uh, anything. You know what? Smuggling it's, grapes uh, and jaguar boots, chupacabra boots. I can't remember what <laughs> chupacabra boots. <laughs> let's uh, let's slip away. Hear from our sponsors. We'll be back in just a few more minutes with more on irrigation. 
Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Find great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com. The way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. Thinking about selling a real estate investment but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay? Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? UnitedCountry.com. Over 30,000 farm, recreational, and lifestyle properties are just a click away, helping people find their American dream for over 90 years. We will help you find yours. Log on now to UnitedCountry.com and find your freedom. So during the break, we were trying to figure out what animal these boots are made out of. (laughs) We're 50-50 split. It's either elephant or the... Chupacabra. Yeah. Chupacabra. What is chupacabra? You don't know what the chupacabra no, is? No, I don't. Uh, oh, sir. Well, they... It's a mythical creature from, like, south down south, like Texas and Mexico and South America. And it's just this little creature, and they call it, like, the goat sucker is what chupacabra means. I don't know for sure if it's mythical. I, it may I, not be. I mean, there's videos of, like... Bigfoot and it side by side. Yeah. They're holding hands. Jackalopes. Yeah, it's through, big. Uh, it's, essentially, it's Bigfoot's dog. Yeah, I think is why. <laughs> Remember, his name made Bigfoot. What is it? What was it on the commercial? I don't know. Uh, Ronald or something. Ronald. He my goes, name is Daryl. Yeah, Daryl. That's what's <laughs> what it is. I think Bigfoot. That's okay. funny. So irrigation. We're going to get back into <laughs> it so. now because this conversation's going nowhere. We went way off the rails here. Clients. So who's your typical Addison irrigation? Who who are you serving right now? Oh, typically big farming operations. One of them's Brahms Dairy, which everybody oh, in the yeah. Midwest knows ice cream as mm-hmm. ice cream. Well, they're about ninety five percent able to grow everything or produce whatever they need in their stores. They've got stores in Florida, Mississippi, Idaho for potatoes, Midwest for alfalfa and feed grains for their dairy cows, which makes the ice cream, which goes into their their stores. So Brahms, one of them. And Your then, company sells irrigation parts to, to Brahms and, and supplies. Yeah. To, yeah. Yes. Typically, the big farmer that's got their own repair people that's able to go out and work on the pivots is, is my clientele. So you were talking about a sod farm earlier and actually right before the 
uh, podcast started before mm-hmm. we started to record. You had a phone call, but from them, I think. Yes. Tell us about like sod farming or sod farms that you service. Uh, sod farms uh, take care of your sod grass that you yeah. have laid on your residential yards, but this client of mine, not going to say names, but he actually told me that they produce grass because it was a hardy, colder region grass that went on our field right here in Kansas City, Arrowhead Field. Oh, Arrowhead Stadium. Oh, very Chiefs. cool. Yeah, yeah. Chief Stadium. Chiefs. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it had to be said. Say it again. No. Okay. Not going to happen. Fair enough. <laughs> It's, it's been recorded the, already once. We're it good. was worth the try. <laughs> uh, sod farms. So w- let's talk a little bit about emerging markets. What's what's out there for an irrigation company? You have your existing client base. Maybe markets in the country that don't currently have a lot of irrigation or irrigation pivots uh, systems in place, but they're starting to. They're incorporating those. Are there parts of the country like that? We have an emerging market right here in Missouri. South of Lake the Ozarks, it's in a county called Miller, Missouri, that kind of area. Uh, they're bulldozing down trees, clearing off 160-acre fields where they can put these pivots up. They found a big body of water they think's mostly being fed by Lake the Ozarks hmm. that I we're putting pivots in. Isn't that a core lake? So they're like taking water off the core lake? No? No. Lake no. of the Ozarks is not? No, it's going into the underground aquifer, okay. which water water usually travels to the south and southeast mm-hmm. when it's underneath the ground, and they're just taking advantage of that water flow. Now, one thing that you're correct about, Trina, is most water rights and the usage of you know state-owned or core core yeah. lake water that would be restricted. Yeah, you couldn't that's just, what I'm like. Isn't that a core lake? How are they just stealing the water off the lake? That's yeah, you crazy. can't just drop a line into the lake and start the siphoning of the water off. Yeah. But this is subsurface water. It's underground water. Gotcha. And a lot of times, big bodies of water, lakes, tributaries, if I understand it right, they will feed those aquifers that are underneath the ground. And that's this water's being pumped out of the ground from privately owned water rights. Gotcha. Okay. You got that right. So we've got several projects going on. Down and around Miller, Missouri. Miller, Missouri. You say that's down south of Lake of the Ozarks, and they're breaking out new cropland. They're yes. they're opening up some of that timber forestry area, yep. breaking out a few fields down there because of the water that's underneath of it. They can install irrigation systems, control the climate. Basically, you know, if mm-hmm. you control the water out there, you can keep the crops cool and keep them well watered. It'll increase productivity, increase yields, and the main reason for it is. Actually, Miller, Missouri has more cattle per that county than anywhere in the United States. Is that right? Yes. Really? Okay. I did not know that. They got a so they're currently just cellars. hanging out in the forest, the cattle are? Well, they got grass as well. That They keep that all cleaned <laughs> up, but this is wasted land that nice. they wasn't using before. I wouldn't call it wasted land. It's good timber. They have people that come out, actually, and... And take the big logs off, and and they just burn the, the residue that's left over. So, in your opinion, agricultural uh, crop production is a more valuable or higher and better use of that land than timber production. Yes, to them it is. Okay, because they might be cattlemen or something like that, and they need corn for their cattle. But we're also seeing these new markets 
with pivots and watering going on to produce corn because we're losing water in certain parts of the regions like western Kansas. They just can't produce crops that they used to in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So they're looking for new areas to do that. Tell your friends you get your information on the Sale Ring Podcast Show. You mentioned there's a aquifer down there. There's plenty of water supply. I think in contrast to that, what's going on out in western Kansas where Addison Irrigation was founded, where you're from, that Garden City, Dodge City, or just western Kansas in general, what's going on with the water supply out there? We're running out of water, and we've got areas in the 70s and 80s that could pump up to 1,000 gallons a minute of water, and they're down to 150, 200 gallons of water because aquifer has depleted that much. And we we actually, with our company, was able to see that transition of the good water to the low water start back in the 80s down around Amarillo and Lubbock, which is still part of the Ogallala Aquifer. And we just seen it actually creep further north as the years progressed. And now we're seeing that that aquifer is depleted as far as McCook, Nebraska now. Will that also happen eventually in Miller, Missouri? That aquifer will just dry up from all the farming going on? If it's not managed right, which the state of Missouri as well as Kansas, like Kansas had, they're uh, controlling the the amount of usage. Mm -hmm. They're putting in water meters. You're you're seeing that happen throughout all the states where the farmers can only use so many acre feet per year. Is it fair to say that the states have better controls in place and better management than they did back in the 70s? Oh, yes. If we would have had this type of management back in the 70s and 80s that we do today, we would still have pretty good farm practices in western Kansas, Oklahoma, Panhandle, and et cetera. All right. So here's a question for you about aquifers, because I don't understand those near as well as you do. If we conserved usage today or even just stopped usage, will an aquifer replenish itself back mm-hmm. to full capacity? Would it fill back up if we stopped using it for a period of time? Yes, it will, but not in our lifetime. They said the Ogallala aquifer, is everybody would quit irrigating today, would take over 500 years to get back wow. to the capacity it was back in the 60s. Wow. That's interesting. So, there's really, I mean, at just some substantial usage or at least at a managed usage out there, you're still going to pull more out of the ground than it can replenish, kind of yeah. replenish or leach back in and, and refill. Yeah, you're right. And it, one of our big worries now in Western Kansas is keeping enough water for the population that mm-hmm. we've just sustained, plus uh, the cattle that we raise out there. We have more cattle in Western Kansas than we have people. And they're looking at different ways. Actually, a project that the state was looking at around Leavenworth, Kansas, was building a reservoir, taking water from the Missouri River, using the lakes on the way down to southwest Kansas as holding cells and getting water down there for the people later in life. I was going to say, that's a huge problem in California, too, isn't it? Like, I mean, they basically dried up the Colorado River coming into California for a while, just farming it out just overusage of it. And now California basically has to really, really conserve water. That's why we hear about, you know, well, you can only use so much water. They, they have uh, what do you call that? A uh, like blackout period or whatever, uh, where they say you can't use water on your lawns and things like that. And it's not even a drought. It's just like 
we don't have enough water for everybody. So everybody has to conserve everything we can get. We're seeing that everywhere. California, I know what you're talking about. We had people that had center pivots in certain parts of California, which they lost their rights to use Mm -hmm. the water because human consumption takes number one. We're seeing that in Colorado. I don't know if you guys call it Arkansas or we call it our Kansas River. When it runs. <laughs> we, saw, we say Arkansas here. <laughs> we say Arkansas out there, but we have two dams on the Arkansas River. And one of them's up around Pueblo, Colorado. The other one's down towards the Colorado-Kansas line. And because of the massive amount of people moving into Pueblo, Pueblo West, Colorado Springs, our river's losing the rights to the water because it's going to go to human consumption before us. So that's part of the reason why our aquifer and things ain't working as well as it used to. Hmm. Well, it's uh, one thing that we can't do without. You know, we're going to have to learn how to conserve water. And uh, alternative ways of what you just said about the consumption of water from that underground tape you know, and, and using just different tactics like that. It's got conservation in mind out there for the survival and the longevity of, of just humanity. If you mm-hmm. can you imagine some of the continents in the in the world out there that are deserts and you know, they literally they just don't grow anything. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to evolve into something like that where it's just a, a barren wasteland someday. You are wrong, Sean Terrell. Oh. There are farms and center pivots in the desert. My uh, father, me, and my brother actually put six of the first pivots, zematic pivots, in uh, Libya. Oh, wow. During the reign of Gaddafi. And it was a little nerve-wracking. Wow, you're a well-traveled man. What about areas of the desert where it's 10 to 12 foot of just blow sand? It doesn't matter. You have to have some type of soil out there we, that will actually yeah, have nutrients. The, we actually, in Libya, we had that problem. It was blow sand. So my father got with the Libyan government and says, we need manure. So they had hog farms. They had chicken farms. They had that. And he said, go get as much residue as you can from these feed yards and hog farms and chicken farms so we can get some nutrient on top of the soil. Mm-hmm. And they were able to round up enough to take care of them six pivots. And we actually started a feed crop for them, which wasn't made for feed. We we grew it, killed it to till it back into soil to give it some something to hold it together. And then we put more manure on it. Now they're growing corn on wow. them fields. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And they have a big body of water underneath them deserts. Lots of water. Well, yeah, they've been dry for 500 years. Nobody's been touching them, so that's crazy. So you have your major manufacturing, like Pierce, Valley, Zematic. They actually have plants in Saudi Arabia and in China and all over that's producing pivots for that region of the world. Wow. So you can raise things in the desert. Oh, yes, you can. Good crops. Yeah. Well, interesting. And there's access to water. Lots of water. Underneath the desert, that's something that I don't think most people think about. Yeah, that's interesting. Tell your friends you get your information on the Sale Ring Podcast Show. You know, one of the things that we didn't talk about, and you had mentioned pre-show, was as current projects that you're working on is a lot of flood damage that Mm -hmm. happened along the Missouri River. 
a lot of pivots, uh, center pivots, a lot of irrigation systems were taken out or damaged or destroyed during the flooding. Lots. And you're selling parts and helping to reestablish those. What's, uh, what's kind of the general region or area and what specifically are, do you see as like um, how you're helping them? Like what parts, complete system overhauls? I mean, what was the number one thing or top 10 things that were taken out of those systems? Water nights were the two main reasons why so many of the crops got destroyed or the sprinklers got destroyed. Usually in the area is from Omaha to Kansas City. It's more of your cropland growing. It's a warmer region. So we have more pivots along the river. And uh, yeah, I'm helping farmers start to get parts to get them back up. What areas where we're at primarily? North Kansas City, between Omaha and Kansas City. Okay. And all along the Missouri River. All along the Missouri River. Yeah. If you're looking at projects out there, what's the let's say the top two things that you see that's happened to the system? Is it the nozzles you mentioned earlier, the sprinklers? I mean, what's the primary damage? I would think one of those things would be whatever's closest to the ground because it's a flood issue, you know, whatever's set underwater most of the time. Uh, the wheel gearboxes and the center drives, which center drives run on electricity, those were full of water. Okay. We had some pivots that was completely underwater. So they'll have to replace their uh, electrical boxes on the towers mm -hmm. at the top. Note, these systems are over 11 foot tall. Yeah. They were completely submerged in water. So that main uh, electric line that goes 1,400 feet down a pivot, that's got to be replaced because you've got water inside there and you just don't know what's going to happen. Gearboxes, they take on water and don't mix with the oil that's in it. They rust up, they seize up. So we're replacing gearboxes, motors. Generally replace the entire gearbox or do you rebuild the gearbox that's on it? Just replace it. Okay. And these systems, are they driven by electric? Do they have electric motors that drive the towers or... Because I, you know, I thought that the early days, I believe those pivots were water driven. They had, you know, an impeller or propeller on them that the water would turn. I think you were telling me one time that it was actually a, a cylinder. It was a cylinder that would move the wheels on those by water, by the flow of water. Yep. They multiplied the, the pressure of the water going into the cylinder, which was like a hydraulic cylinder on an implement. And it would push up. And as it was pushing up, it would push the wheels forward and then retract back down and start all over again. But now, today, it's all oil mm -hmm. or electric driven. What's the average height of one of those irrigation towers out in the field from the floor, from the, the field up to the top of the pipe? 11 feet. 11, 11 feet. feet off the ground. The water got up above those? Yes. In some instances, those were, those were completely, that's hard to imagine. That much crop ground. It's hard to imagine they were still sitting there, too. Like, why didn't the flood take them downriver, you know? like They did. Oh. Some of that. <laughs> okay. Some of that. Uh, Depends ice. on whether it was in the current yeah, or not, yeah. how much current you had coming through. Some of that ice flow that was coming down to Missouri that time of the year. Actually, I seen pivots that was moved over two miles away from their previous spot. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Salvageable? Is any no. part of that pivot salvageable? None of it. So what do they do with it at that point? It's just scrap, scrap metal? Yeah. Scrap. And is is there scrap metal on those? I mean, can they? Uh... It's all metal. Okay. Almost. 
or copper wire. So they just chop them up oh. and throw them in a truck and haul them off. Yep. That's amazing. Irrigation systems, irrigation pivots. Darren Addison with Addison Irrigation. We're going to slip away here from the sponsors. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more from Darren. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? unitedcountry.com over 30,000 farm recreational and lifestyle properties are just a click away helping people find their american dream for over 90 years we will help you find yours log on now to unitedcountry.com and find your freedom thinking about selling a real estate investment but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Buying great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com. The way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. While we were on the break, we were talking about Panama City Beach. And we haven't talked a lot about residential irrigation Darren, I'd like your take on this. So I'm going to read something to you real quick. Panama City Beach residents may have to spend up to $1,000 to upgrade their irrigation systems. Folks, we're talking about residential irrigation systems in front of a house. $1,000 is a pretty big expense to most owners. I don't want to spend that at my house. Nope. And that's a lot of money when you go house to house to house in areas that already maybe possibly years ago, spent the money that they had saved up to put an irrigation system in with their house. So uh, Panama City Beach uh, says residents may soon have to spend up to $1,000. And I'm getting down to the, uh, here's the reason, a backflow prevention device to be installed on all residential irrigation systems that use drinking water. They're talking about doing this. Uh, The device will feature individual check valves that will hold a certain amount of pressure that allows water to come through the pipe while preventing contaminants from backwashing into the public water system. They've got a little picture of it here in the article. So this is like a new invention, not this is faulty equipment that has to be fixed. It's not new. Okay. We've been doing well, this in the center pivot. It's new to Panama years. City Beach, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like. Yeah, it's new to these residents. Yeah. But you say that's not a new device? No. We do it with center pivots. We have been doing it for 30 years. We put pesticides. We put fertilizers. We put everything through these systems. Oh, And we don't okay. want that to get back down to drinking water. And so the, we, yeah. have, we have check valves. We call them chemigation valves. Well, they're doing the same deal. Yeah. 
They're doing the same deal with residential, but it's smaller scale. Actually, I'm getting ready to put a loan system at my house, and I will have to put a backflow preventer, but they're not a thousand dollars or like 120 bucks. So this is essentially just a check valve. It's it's just a ball valve that allows the water to come through one way, but won't let it not flow the back the other. That's right. Yeah. And you're saying they're not a thousand dollar parts. No. That's, making, that's the government in action right there. It's government in action. They're uh-huh. going to get their piece of the pie. They're mm-hmm. going to make about $800 on each project. Wow. Hmm. That sounds like something I would call typical. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I think it said somewhere, it, I, I read in here where if the homeowner felt qualified or wanted, here it is. They can do the work themselves if they feel like they're capable or they can hire a plumber <laughs> to have it done. You can so, dig up your own yard and put this thing in yourself if you're so inclined or hire someone that knows what they're doing and yeah. pay another $800 on top of that for this guy to do or, it. Or hire our guys for $1,000 yeah, to put in a $200 device. That's crazy. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more, Darren. I, I found part of what you said intriguing. Uh, chemicals, fertilizer, pesticides, things like that. Those will come through the irrigation system. So you're mixing those with the water that they're putting on agricultural crops, sod farms, things like that? Yes, sir. Really? It's something that they do all the time now. Yeah. It's much cheaper than having a plane fly it on or a ground rig. Dusting or whatever, yeah. Yeah, to put it on. Because you're already spraying the water on it. So there's, um, I assume there's something that would put the amount of the ratio of mm-hmm. pesticide to the gallon of water that's going on so that you're not just dumping it all in one spot. You're getting coverage across the field. A very, very good piece of equipment called a chemigation injection. Say that one more time. A chemigation injection system. Okay. All right. Would you say those are on most irrigation systems or 50% or? It's portable. You can move it from system to system. Oh, like on a trailer? Yep. Okay. Hmm. And it just drafts off of the irrigation system. Towers, so I understand, I mean, the concept. I've been around, you know, center pivot irrigation systems before. They're on towers that are anchored in the center of the ground. They turn mm-hmm. and they go, uh, obviously, down into the the center of the pivot, that's where you would park the device or apparatus, and then it's going to pivot around that yep. all the while feeding the chemical, the fertilizer, the pesticide into the water. Yes, sir. And it's usually, well, it has to be in front of the chemigation valves that we install. Every well now drilled, or if it's an existing well, they have to have a chemigation backflow preventer on them now. Okay. The same reason that Panama City Beach is looking for their residents to have a backflow preventer. That's interesting. So this is not necessarily, I mean, the homeowner's not going to like it. They're sure not going to like spending $1,000. But is it a needed device, in your opinion? Oh, yeah. Even here in Kansas City, you've got these big corporations that's got really nice lawns. And Mm -hmm. a lot of those, uh, they're feeding the fertilizer and everything to it through their lawn system. Interesting. Interesting. That's what Arrowhead Stadium does. Nope. <laughs> Not going to happen. They're both looking at me like, Trina, where's All that? Right. <laughs> it almost happened, and then you looked. <laughs> so, I, I don't know why I keep laughing about this, but I got to bring it up before we get off this show. I found it kind of interesting. A Japanese ninja museum. <laughs> I All heard right. the story. Yeah, I'm switching weekend. gears right now, but yes. I got to get you guys' take. And, and Darren, thanks. I mean, the information on irrigation systems is yes. tremendous. 
but I got to tell this funny story real quick. And I'm just, I'm always looking at news. Stealthy thieves broke into a Japanese ninja museum and stole a million yen. How about so that? So ninjas broke into the ninja museum and stole money. <laughs> ninjas. Is basically what happened. Broke into their, basically, <laughs> their own museum. They broke into their own museum <laughs> and they stole a million in yen. That's awesome. Uh, wouldn't it be easier just use a key? All I can picture is like Mission Impossible style, like hanging from the ceiling on a rope just to get their hands on a cash register or something crazy. <laughs> this is almost, uh, I don't know if you'd call it going viral or not, but it's all yes. over the internet. And people are now, they're they're posting pictures of ninjas that are fighting with each other, <laughs> breaking in, you know, hiding behind the curtain with the, they got all the, the traditional dress on. So I, I think it's <laughs> hilarious. And it's pretty funny. Ninjas broke into the ninja museum and stole a million yen out of the safe. My question is, how did they even know they were broke into? I mean, those guys are good. They're ninjas. They're ninjas, right? <laughs> These guys must not have been ninjas. And the ninja museum is like, uh, let us train you in our ways. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, they. I'm just going through looking at these videos of it. It's hilarious. I bet. So my favorite news story of the weekend was um, there's been a safe that was left on a New York farm. What? Yeah, just a mysterious safe left on a New York farm, just random people left a safe with a note that said, what did it say? If you can open this, you can have what's inside. So <laughs> word got around this town and all the townsfolk came to this farm and started trying to break into this safe. And the owner had to end up hiding the safe so that he could, you know, I don't know, have it for himself or donate the money. I don't know. I guess they still haven't broken into the safe. So uh, it's a, a local mystery in New York. All right, we got it. I just found it. We got to okay. check this out. Listen to this clip from the story. When a mysterious safe was discovered in this field, on it, a note saying whomever opened it could keep what's inside. It's pretty heavy. Uh, I'm thinking five, six hundred pounds wow. at least. The safe now sits on Kirk Mathis's farm. He says once residents heard about the safe, many tried and failed to open it. <laughs> Deputies even had to be called. They took a sledgehammer to it and they knocked off the, the dial and the handle and they worked on the hinges, kind of beat it up. Mathis says he has no idea who left it in his field. Can you some imagine wise that? guy or kids. We got some crazy kids here in Barry, uh, real jokers. It sounds like they have That's, a lot to do in Barry. That is hilarious. We've got some crazy kids here in Barry, even jokers. Even jokers. So, if somebody has left that safe out in the middle of his field with that note on it, that's pretty clever. I mean, number one, how did it get there unnoticed? It's five or six hundred pound safe. So that's one thing to think about. That's not the local kids. That's some more thought put into it than well, some let kids me, out drinking on a Saturday night. Let me bring this up, Trina. It's in the middle of an agricultural field. Yeah. Darren, you know, as well as I do, ag kids, they know how to move a five or 600 pound. They just go out and get the tractor in the middle of the night with a front end loader. <laughs> and go, and let's throw a chain around that thing, carry it out there and, and slap a note on it. So yeah. I think it's hilarious, though. It's created all this controversy. Why don't in a they really just call a locksmith town. to open it and see what's inside? You don't have a dial anymore. Yeah. So there was a picture when I was listening to that video. They have beat the dial and the handle and everything. Well, can't they just get like it's a just, blowtorch or something along that lines? I mean, there's got to be a way to open this safe. I would think you could take a torch and cut the hinges yeah. off of it. Or you could take a... Uh, 
Oh, what kind of a metal soft? Like so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but uh, jigsaw. You, you wouldn't no, want to do I mean, it by hand, yeah. obviously. But you could take, you know, <laughs> I can see what to use, but I can't. Uh, yeah, like a kind of a reciprocating saw yeah. or something that you know, a band, sawzall. A band sawzall. Yeah. The sawzall. sawzall. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> with a sawzall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's pretty funny. That's pretty awesome. I want to know what's inside. We will do a follow-up story for all of everyone else that has to know. We're definitely going to follow that up. There was uh, actually a recent story on um, Reddit that a guy like moved into a new house and he found a safe in the floor and didn't know how to open it. And he went on for months and months and months and everybody just kept checking back in. There was nothing in the safe when he got it open. Finally, nothing. That's cobwebs. Yeah, it's a little bit of a letdown, but I'm expecting more from this story. We'll keep you all posted. Great story. Ninjas, Ninjas. and uh, mystery safes. So. Yeah, and irrigation. and irrigation. What more could you all ask for? Darren, we appreciate you being on the show, my friend. This is um, highly enlightening information, and we will uh, we look forward to having you back if you'll yeah. come back sometime. Yes, sir, I will. All right, very good. Well, that's it for me, Trina. Me too, yep. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this episode. We'll see you next time inside the Sail Ring. This episode has ended, but your journey to greatness continues. To access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, head over to www.thesailring.com now. That's www.thesailring.com.